This week on a lively experiment, another year in the books. But before we turn the page to 2022, it's our annual review of the good, the bad, and the ugly of Rhode Island. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, as they do every year, retired URI political science professor, Maureen Moakley, Ian Donis, political reporter for the Publics Radio, and Brown University political science professor, Wendy Schiller. Hello everyone and welcome to our special year-end edition of A Lively Experiment. It's our chance to reflect on the highlights and the lowlights of 2021 to see if the panel's predictions for this year were a hit or a miss and to offer up some prognostications for 2022. You will notice we are missing one of our regulars. Dave Lehman is overseas with his family for Christmas this year, but we got his prediction before he left, which will play for you a little later in the program. So welcome. First of all, folks, so nice to all be in person this year yes. as opposed to Zoom from last year. Um, it's the same categories. Let's go in. Uh, Wendy, let's start with you. Top local story. My top local story is Sabina Matos, uh, Lieutenant Governor Nellie Gorbea, announcing run for governor. She's Secretary of State. And Cynthia Mendez teaming up with Matt Brown to run for Lieutenant Governor. Um, I think uh, that these are history-making women, uh, first Latina for Nellie Gorbea in statewide office in New England, for example, and same now with Sabina Matos, Lieutenant Governor. And their rise to power, to me, in Rhode Island represents the ascension of Latino voters all across the country, uh, particularly Latino women and the power of Latino women. And for the moment, they're mostly Democrats, but you can also see people like Jessica De La Cruz on the Republican side coming up in Rhode Island. And across the country, more Latina women are also running for office as Republicans. And I think this is an incredible movement. It's an offshoot, I think, of a lot of different social movements over the last decade. But it really shows the pendulum swinging. And it's going to be very interesting to see how it all plays out uh, as we move forward. Interesting. Ian, what do you have for your top local story? Jim, my top local story is how Rhode Island, just like the country and the world, continue to wrestle with the COVID pandemic. It looks like it's going to get better before it gets worse. It's going to get worse before it gets better, excuse me, with Omicron. It seemed like things were better earlier this year during the warmer weather, but it's just a very difficult situation. It's testing political leaders. There are people who are going to be unhappy no matter how things come down. And, you know, if we all took more seriously the call to get vaccinated with the booster, that would help to bring things to a better state. But the country is very much still still in the teeth of the pandemic. Uh, my top level story is uh, Romando resigning and McKee becoming the governor. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, <clears throat> it made a profound difference in the, in the structure of the of the state. And we now have a primary where there's a lot of people running. And I think that's a result of this transformation. And, uh, and it's interesting because we're going to have, we may have a, a situation where the person that wins the governorship would be like a third, could get a, a third of the vote. And just as a side, we need to reform the primary system because um, 
having all these people uh, is not a good thing, I don't think. But just to jump in, with Gina Raimondo in her first primary, she had two very formidable opponents, yeah. at least, mm -hmm. and she didn't win much more than a third, maybe in the, you know, I think 38%. 30, 38%. 38%. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think it's a, it's not unusual when you're having strong challenger, challengers. Right. And <clears throat> so it'll be messy for the Democrats, but I think it's a sign that we have a lot of capable people who want to run for office. But, but the other thing is, you re I think it's really unfortunate that you have these low these low percentages that will go on to be governor. I think we have to reform the primary system. Keep in right. mind, too, Maureen, that you're talking about the primary because if and when the Republicans bring forward a gubernatorial candidate, it's probably going to be a Democrat versus a Republican. There might be some independent who would get a very small percentage, but the eventual winner uh, in the November 22 race right. will likely get more right. than 50%. But the whole, but, you know, it's because we had third party because you remember the Link Chafee run, there were four people in that, and then <coughs> Tina's first run was multiple where she got the 38%. Final thought on that? Yeah, no, I, th I just think that, I think that this situation has to do with the fact that we do need to reform the primary system. I mean, I think it's just an important thing to do. Okay. I, I mean, like a runoff. You know, in other words, not, you know, you have to get a, you have to get a majority. That's a discussion for another show. Okay. <laughs> Let's, uh, Ian, you uh, top uh, national story. What do you have? Jim, my top national story was the assault on the Capitol on January 6th. This was the dawning of a frightening new moment in American history. According to the journalist Barton <clears throat> Gelman in The Atlantic, there are some 20 million Americans who both think that uh, the, the election was somehow stolen from Trump. That was not the case. And they are prepared to use violence to move forward their opinion. So this is something the country is very much still dealing with. We actually had a state representative from uh, South County who was at in Washington for this and who subscribed to the conspiracy theory that in Antifa was responsible for this insurrection. That is, of course, absolutely false. But this is a, a very disturbing moment in American history. What do you have, Maureen? I have the same thing, but I'll just go on to that. In other words, I think this may be the story of the era. Now that we know the aftermath of that, and we see that, you know, Trump has been so involved, so many people were so involved, a conspiracy <laughs> to overturn the election. I mean, that's the thing that's, that's frightening in the sense that all these people were involved, and as this unfolds, it seems that people got, you know, people asked him to stop, you know, people from the media. And it's really a disturbing, ac actual part, part, of, uh, part of our history. And I think it's going to be really important when this all comes out. Hmm. Wendy, what do you have? Um, I have a, a different story, although I, I would say that I think a lot of the problems come from the disconnect between uh, the Electoral College and popular vote. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have these two different ways of measuring who wins the election. Nixon won the popular vote. Kennedy won the election. Um, and, you know, obviously George Bush, uh, Gore won the popular vote. You know, so when you go through that, it gets over and over and over. People say, wait a minute, how do we count who wins? Biden won by more than 7 million votes. But, uh, and more electoral votes. But it's still, I think that disconnect continues to fester and produce mm -hmm. problems. So the top national story for me is the extent to which the Democrats passed a lot of significant legislation this year, had a completely successful year. Uh, COVID extension, COVID unemployment surplus, you know, a subsidy, implementing a vaccine plan where there was none, an infrastructure bill that the Trump administration and the GOP could not pass, uh, debt ceiling extension until March 23, keeps us on financial stable, Our 
our stability uh, on footing, no government shutdowns, and more federal judges, 40 uh, that were mm -hmm. confirmed, including mm -hmm. women and uh, members of uh, underrepresented groups, than Trump did in his first year. And their big mistake political malpractice, was going for the the Build Back Better plan, this plan that just died, that was way too much. Mm -hmm. It buried everything else that they did, and they completely failed to capitalize on what was otherwise a very successful year. Yeah, That's and, a good one. Yeah, That's and, a good one. And inflation, of course, has been, you know, it's funny. Biden's people are very frustrated because the, the media message, they say, continues to be inflation, inflation, when all of those things that you talked about should be a lot of the message, and it doesn't seem to be getting through. Yeah, and, it, and it was a, it's political malpractice because it was their fault. They, they focused on the number really originally, and of course the fight between progressives and more moderate Democrats complicates things. But always, oh, is it two trillion? Two trillion? Is it three trillion? Is it one trillion? Nobody knew what was in it. So how do you build support for something when people don't even know what's in it? Plus, they did a lot of other stuff. And you can argue that pump, putting more money in the economy creates inflation, but the, the ending or loosening of the pandemic, at least temporarily, everybody wanted, wanted to go out and spend money. That's going to cause inflation. And the, and the Federal Reserve waited too long to raise interest rates. All right. Let's, uh, do, we'll do this together. Let's do biggest winner and biggest loser. Maureen, let's start with you. Biggest winner, Gina Raimondo and Dan McKee. Gina Raimondo left. She's been in Washington uh, in her job for about nine months. I saw on Politico, she's now listed among 10 people with presidential possibilities. I mean, she's made a, she, she left, was great, great success. And, you know, she's not in Rhode Island and she's made a name for herself. And uh, I think that's, I think that's, she's a winner for sure. And also Dan McKee, he may not be the most, uh, decisive kind of a governor, but he is there, he is the incumbent, that gives him an advantage. So in that sense, I say Ramondo and McKee were the biggest winners. Do you have a biggest loser? Biggest loser. The biggest loser would be, I want to pick up uh, what, uh, on the idea that the Republicans are stay in this state are staying in the fringe, on the fringes. And Bill Bartholomew talked about this last week. Mm. And it's not, a, it's, it's not like a criticism. It's a real concern. We need a two-party system. They're hanging out on the fringes. They're under 100,000 registered voters. They lost East Greenwich and other places that they were strong in, in South County. And, um, you know, no one... And we're heading into an election year, and they don't, still don't have a gubernatorial well, that's candidate. Gonna, when you said someone's going to run for governor, they have to find someone. And I don't blame Blake for, you know, to say, Filippi for saying he doesn't want to run. Why would you run? All right. What do you have for biggest winner, biggest loser? The biggest winner to me is Donald Trump because we're still talking about him. <laughs> That's it. He has he has, continues to insert himself in, in national politics and local politics. And I think uh, this could change dramatically for him in 2022. I do think sooner or later the young up-and-coming or younger, Ron DeSantis, Christy Noem, Tom Cotton, a lot of national Republican figures who want to be president of the United States will start to move forward in a very significant way, and he will eventually get sidelined. But so far, I think he's the biggest winner. And my um, biggest loser are the health care workers, not only in Rhode Island, uh, but all across the country, who have had to do extraordinary things for so long with with no relief in sight, uh, and we just owe them an enormous debt of gratitude, but I, I don't think they are losers. I think they are the biggest losers because they've had to endure mm. so much more than any other, I think, professional sector in the last year. 
Absolutely. Ian, what do you have? Biggest winner, biggest loser? My biggest winner is Governor McKee. Whether he will win the race for governor next year remains to be seen, but it's hard to imagine coming into office with a more fortuitous hand that included boatloads of federal money flowing into Rhode Island, the best budget outlook we've seen in many, many years, and things like that. And that, you know, incumbency offers a lot of advantages. As Maureen said, uh, Governor McKee has some challenges. He's had some self-inflicted wounds. There's a big Democratic field of candidates for governor. But he has a, a very good shot at retaining the governor's office. And uh, COVID, of course, is a difficult issue for him to wrestle with. The My biggest loser, Jim, is our old friend, The Truth. It's been a couple of... <laughs> It's been a tough couple of years for our the truth, and you know we in journalism like to say you can you can choose your your own opinions, but you can't choose your facts. But increasingly, a lot of Americans think they can choose their facts. There are a significant percentage of Republicans who buy into this. A false story that the election was stolen from Trump. That's very worrisome. The Associated Press recently did an in-depth investigation where they looked at all the potential cases of voter fraud in the, the election in 2022. They found like something like under 500 possible cases. That Those were not confirmed cases. That's like a quarter of 1% of the vote in six battleground states that would have been necessary to tip the vote. So even if those cases were all confirmed, that would not have made any difference in the outcome of the election. And we've got to, you know, just kind of come back to a shared sense of the truth in America. And yeah. some, of them, some of them were actually people who voted for Trump. The voter fraud right. cases that they're finding yeah. out are not Democrats right, right. Biden. Right. Right. Some of them, and more a than a few, irony. are actually yeah, yeah, yeah voting for Trump. Right. Right. All right, one of my favorite categories, the only in Rhode Island moment. Wendy, let's begin with you. The calamari shortage over the summer. Are they only <laughs> there in Rhode Island? Do we not <laughs> have enough of the state appetizer? You know, what was made famous at the Democratic uh, uh, Convention uh, by our, our delegates to the Democratic Convention, and that Rhode Islanders had to ration it or pay more for it just seemed completely surreal to me. Did we get <laughs> Representative right. McIntyre right. to form right. a special yeah. study commission <laughs> yeah, on the yeah, shortage yeah, yeah. or what? Right. Right. That is a good one. That's Ian, good. what do you have? My only in Rhode Island story was the casting call for lieutenant governor candidates. Like, it was some kind of reality TV show. There, oh, were, there were about 60 <laughs> candidates, when in fact we knew there were only a handful of really serious choices. In the end, it made perfect sense that Governor McKee chose Sabina Matos. She checks, checks off a lot of boxes as far as being a politically smart choice. But, you know, it was kind of ridiculous and silly to have everyone and his uncle throwing their hat into the ring to be the next uh, holder of an office that a lot of Rhodeers think doesn't do much of anything to begin with. That's funny. Maureen, what do you have? What do I have? Only in Rhode Island, this year, uh, 2021, Judge Frank Caprio was got, a, got an Emmy nomination for his show <laughs> Caught in Providence, okay? And uh, so that's like the, and he's gotten national recognition be, uh, because of that. But I have a little aside to ask, international recognition. I was in India three years ago, and I was in this city called Varnasi. And one of the vendors, we were by the bus, said to me, asked me where I was from. And I said, Rhode Island. He said, do you know the judge? <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, uh, I do. <laughs> And he was like bug-eyed. And so the tour guide, the tour guide uh, who was educated in, in England, he was a very sophisticated guy. He said, we love that show. So only in Rhode Island do we come from that. And I had the same thing happen in Amsterdam two yeah. years ago when really? I went. Oh, Rhode Island, you know, you have that crazy judge. And I'm like, yeah, yeah we know Frank Caprio yeah, very yeah. well. So anyway, 
That's only in Rhode Island. That's great. A nod of the hat. I have one uh, that actually is not mine, but I saw Steve Clampkin, our colleague at WPRO, over the uh, weekend tweet when they were handing out the marijuana licenses. They brought in a retired FBI agent with a blindfold and short sleeves to pick the balls, you know, oh, the, right, like, the, right. the, the oh, Rhode yeah, Island yeah, lottery yeah. balls, so he had nothing up his sleeve. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, okay. it was pretty good. Okay. okay, this is the fun part. We get to go back and look and see what our panel predicted for this year and see if they were right and then offer up their own predictions. Ian, let's begin with you. Roll the tape. I wouldn't be surprised if 2021 is the year when the legislature legalizes recreational marijuana as part of a kind of convergence of progressive issues that work out to help the budget. And I think with more progressives, more women lawmakers having one election to the General Assembly, we'll see more energy on the progressive side for, on the, for certain policy issues. What happened? Well, I think uh, I'll update that. I'll say 2022 will be the year when Rhode Island... <laughs> just a year off. <laughs> just off by year. Other predictions, there's going to be more stress on the health system. We're already hearing about this due to COVID, during, due to turnover uh, in staff. There's a lot of burnout. It's a very diff difficult situation, as Wendy said, for healthcare workers. My wife is a healthcare worker in the interest of full disclosure. One other prediction, I predict that the merger between Lifespan Care New England and Brown University will move forward, however, with conditions uh, brought in by state and federal regulators. Going back to your prediction for last year, you know, they were talking about the fall session with marijuana. I think it's really the governor and the Senate president have to get on the same page, right? But you also talked about the progressives, and they are becoming a force in the legislature. Yeah, and as you as you say, Jim, there's kind of a convergence of interests uh, supporting this societally. People are a lot more tolerant about marijuana now, and uh, it you know, at one point we would be unlikely to see this happen in an election year, but because it's a lot less controversial in the past, I think there's a good chance it will happen in 2022. All right. Any other predictions, or is that you're, you're done? That's We've got it, it on tape. Uh -huh. big, big year for the Red Sox in 2022. Okay, <laughs> okay we'll okay. look forward right. to that. Okay, Professor Moakley, let's see what you said last mm -hmm. year. I expect by June, things are going to be back, sort of back to normal in the sense that, as Wendy has indicated, the progress with this, this vaccine is really encouraging. I also think that will remain a force, but he will not, he will be marginalized. Once the new administration comes in, he'll be there and he'll be a presence. But I think it's hopeful that um, he'll be put to the side and won't be the force that people expect he will be. And then there was this thing called Omicron. Yeah, right, exactly, <laughs> right? exactly. I so lost what, it there. what do you think about that? You were kind of 50-50. Yeah, I was kind of 50-50, yeah. But, um, yeah, well, who knew about the Omicron? Yeah, exactly. Well, when you have that many, when you have 70, originally 70 or 80 million unvaccinated people, and you have globally a billion, more than a billion unvaccinated people, it's a host for the virus to replicate and mutate. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why getting vaccinated is important. It's not a guarantee, but it prevents that population of the virus from becoming something like Omicron. Now we see what happens when we don't have universal vaccination. What's your prediction for 2022? My prediction I have, as far as nationally, I'm going to be very conservative, okay, <laughs> <laughs> after this last one. Okay, I think the Democrats will lose the House and I think possibly the Senate. And I think that's going to be interesting because I don't think it's going to be anything more done on the domestic side. 
But uh, there's a lot of foreign policy issues that Biden's going to have to deal with. So that's, that's as far as national. Locally, I am optimistic about how the leadership in this state and how we're going to use the federal funds. I think they seem to be on the same page. And I expect really interesting and possibly transformative policy on housing and transportation. I think the problem is there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And so how do you, you know, they've, I had the governor and the Senate president and the speaker mm. here. What, at the end of the day, how do you narrow it down? Fortunately, they've got a lot of money, but we'll see yeah, it. Right. We, we have it on tape. Okay, Wendy, let's go to you. Let's see uh, what you had for uh, 2021. that the legislature in Rhode Island, I think, will move more coherently and smoothly in a progressive direction, and the opposite will happen to the Democrats in the United States House of Representatives. I think it's, it's such an incredibly tight margin right now. It's five seats. If uh, we have a confirmation for Secretary of Interior, it would be four-seat margin, give or take. That's incredibly precarious. The progressives, led by AOC, don't show any signs of slowing down, and I think it's going to cause a considerable amount of problems for the Democrats. I think they're going to be fractured. And I, I wonder if this is going to start to really begin to hurt them going into the 22 midterm elections. Right, so she if wins. Play, if you play the lottery, can you give me the numbers? Yeah, right. <laughs> that was well, good. I, I just want to remind viewers, the year before, my predictions were terrible. So, uh, <laughs> Listen, if you go, it's like batting, right? If you hit one for three, you're, you're yeah. considered a Hall yep. of Famer. I mean, I think, the, I think the Democrats in the House of Progressives have seen what the more right-wing version of the Republicans have done in the House over the last decade. They take over the party. And I think they see the opportunity to do that. So they're not unhappy about the older retirements that we're seeing, retirements of older members of the, of the House who are from some parts of the South and the Midwest. And they see that, you know, as sort of an opportunity to get their platform to be the dominant platform for the Democrats. It's, you know, they're, they're following the playbook of the Republicans. Whether, you know, it works from the long run, we'll see. But, you know, the, as I said, the Biden administration has gotten an enormous amount done that's going to help a lot of people over the next couple of years. So the idea that there's still remaining things that need to be done, the progressives will argue, well, we can't get it done now. Give us more seats. Give us more power. Give us our nominee and we'll all get it done. The problem is mobilizing the people that really support their agenda tend to, who tend to be younger, very hard to do in the midterm elections. So I don't see them being successful in 2022 in the midterm elections, but I do see them being very influential in choosing the Democratic Party nominee in 24. What's your prediction? My prediction, well, my other predictions. Oh, COVID, COVID will become much more like a very serious flu uh, that we'll have to be very concerned about, particularly people with immune compromised systems. In the next six to nine months, we'll make a transition from being very, 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 very panicked about it to sort of understanding that this will be a problem for us for the next couple of years. We'll have to get a yearly shot, if not every six months, but it will eventually transition to that. It'll be, it will replace probably our existing flu. And then I think we'll also see historic rates of early retirement for people over the age of 55. The vast majority of the 4 million people who've retired, who left the workforce, are over the age of 55. And you're going to see even more of those retirements, which will in turn put pressure on systems like early, you know, 62-year-old uh, people taking Social Security, people trying to push for Medicare for all or lowering that, that age for Medicare. I think you're going to see pressures on state and federal governments as the majority of those people start to retire earlier. All right. That is a mouthful. We've got it all on tape, though. <laughs> all right. As I had said before, Dave Lehman's not with us. He's here in spirit and he's here on tape so before we get to his prediction let's see what uh, for next year let's see what he said for 2021 uh, i think the uh, hope point tower the fame tower the 46 
story tall building, I think is in very serious trouble. Uh, I think they've, they've been plagued by delays. It's been four years ago since they, they produced, uh, produced the idea. There have been uh, deadlines missed. I think if you throw in a recession, I really wonder if this if this tower is going to become a reality. And I think this may be the year where we're going to have some clarity because there's an awful lot of tension over that. And there's a lawsuit that says this is going to be an illegal project. Ian, you've done a lot of coverage on this. What are you hearing? It seems like, I mean, the, the, the deadlines were extended. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, uh, Dave's comments are, are worth noting. At the same time, and at the same time, there's been a slowing down of a lot of development in a lot of places. I think this project is still possible. It could still move forward, but there are questions about it. Uh, Eli Sherman from Channel 12 has been among the reporters following this very closely. And from his reporting, I get the sense that, you know, there this still could happen. I mean, there there we are seeing more growth and more development in that area around the jewelry district and the nearby area in Providence. So I think it's too early to say what the outcome will be there. Okay. I had a chance to sit down with Dave before he left. He's overseas with his family for Christmas. And uh, we sat down to get his prediction for 2022. Here's what he said. I think 2022 is going to be a tough year for Governor David Key and President Joe Biden for very different reasons. But I think it will be the worst year in the life of Donald Trump. The former president is in very serious trouble with all kinds of investigations. If he does get charged, he will be the first former U.S. president ever to be criminally charged. This may also totally affect the way the Republican Party begins to react to him. There's been some stepping away from him as it is, but it may be wholesale before it's all over. There are so many investigations in Washington, the January the 6th investigation. More is coming out on that. A grand jury in New York is investigating his business dealings. Another investigation in New York, a dual investigation between the city and the state. Investigation in Georgia. He's under investigation there because of his alleged tampering with the election there to try to reverse the total so that he would be the president. And then, of course, there are the lawsuits. Trump is facing a number of lawsuits from former business partners, his own niece, and Capitol Police officers. So for this reason, I think it's going to be a mighty tough year for Donald Trump. Dave had a great line. He did two takes, and he didn't make it into the second one. I was telling you, Maureen, he said, the orange man might wind up in the orange jumpsuit. So that I'm sorry, Dave. That is a great that, line. That, it's too bad you couldn't get that, that in That did not there. make it. Yeah. Uh, quickly, what, you have your eye on New York and the whole what's going on with the state and the and the federal prosecutor there. What do you think for Trump? Yeah, no, I mean, I think for state investigations, I, I, th I thought Letitia James, the attorney general, was still running for governor, and Ian corrected me this morning to remind me that she had just said she's not running, which means she'll put all of her energy into this. And with the New York City District Attorney's Office and then the Southern District Justice Department and uh, the attorney general, they show no signs of backing off, and it's about taxes, and it's about a long history of the Trump organization not paying taxes. It's multiple decades. Uh, you know, whether they get Donald Trump per se, we're not sure, but they probably will bring down the organization, which he's already begun, he's already begun to dismantle. He already moved to Florida. Uh, so he, you know, and the Trump Hotel in D.C. will be sold. I think there are pieces of his empire that are going to be sold off, and, and we'll see uh, what happens to him personally. 
What effect do you think the January 6th commission is going to have? The Republicans are trying to paint it as this partisan, but the more it comes out, look, the text messages don't lie, that the, you know, Mark Meadows and all of that. At, at the end, we don't know ultimately what they're going to find, but it doesn't look good. I wonder what effect, because you have some Republicans will not listen to any of it, right? Oh, yeah, no, but I think, it, I think it's going to be profound. I mean, I think it's going to be a critical juncture in American history. I mean, this guy tried to overturn an election, and I think it's... It's and he was aided and abetted by sitting congresspeople who t swear an oath to the Constitution. Exactly. And it is treason to, uh, That's to go exactly against that right. oath. Not only that, but his operatives, in other words, Mark Meadows. I mean, they were sitting down. This was planned for months. I mean, you know, right after the election. It's really, uh, it's really disturbing. And, uh, you know, when you talk about democracy, I mean, this is a real threat. The flip side is how Republicans are putting in a lot of changes across the nation to try and create a more advantageous field mm -hmm. if things came down with a disputed election again. So that's the flip side of all this investigative activity. Okay, folks, that is all the time we have, but we are not done yet. We have People to watch in 2022, go right now to ripbs.org lively for our special lively extra bonus edition. For now, though, thank you, Ian and Maureen and Wendy. We appreciate your views and looking into 2022. Folks, we will be here in 2022 with all the latest. Join us as the Lively Experiment continues. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.